Okay, so we are going to transition now uh, to our message. And um, my name's Norton, by the way. I'm one of the pastors. I forgot to introduce myself. Um, and I want to begin, uh, we're kicking off a new series today. It's called Common Practices, a new series for a new normal. And I want to begin by reading you some words that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, he wrote a whole bunch of letters that we've collected, and they're part of the New Testament now. And one of the first letters he wrote was to some new followers of Jesus. And in that letter, he tells these new Christians that they have two sets of desires working inside of them. The first set of desires he calls the desires of the sinful nature. And they're unhealthy desires. And here's what he says about them. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's a great passage to start a sermon with, isn't it, right? So he says, you have one set of desires in you, and when you follow those desires, you end up doing all of the stuff you don't really want to do. You end up arguing with other people, uh, nursing jealous feelings, holding grudges. Uh, you end up drinking too much, partying too much, sleeping around with people. Uh, you end up loving uh, things that you don't really want to love. That's just what idolatry is. It's, it's loving and worshiping something like money um, or comfort or attention. Um, and Paul says to these new Christians, if you follow those desires, those unhealthy desires inside of you, it'll eventually ruin you because it leads to all of these things. But he says God's spirit can also give you a different set of desires. And as you follow Jesus and you follow these healthy desires, he says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, uh, some of us know this passage. We've heard it before, that if we follow the healthy desires that come from following Jesus and come from the Holy Spirit, then it'll make us more patient people. It'll make us more loving people. It'll make us more faithful people. We'll experience true joy and peace and self-control. But these are the results, Paul says. He calls them actually fruit. They're the, the fruit of following and living and pursuing those good and healthy desires that the Spirit gives us, not the unhealthy desires. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like in these few sentences, Paul has captured a battle that I've been waging my entire life, right? I want to follow the good and healthy desires that I have, and as a result, experience joy and peace and patience and all those things. But if I'm honest, there's a lot of days, and there's even weeks and seasons in my life when I follow my unhealthy desires. Let me give you a few examples. Um, how many of you experienced this in the past few weeks? Uh, healthy desire. I want to be productive at home today. Right, Matt? Right, Ellie? Right? But then there's the unhealthy desire. I want to just lay on the couch and binge 
Netflix or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or Minecraft or Clash of Clans or, or you you just fill in the blank there, right? And which desire keeps winning out? Here's another one. Um, healthy desire. I want to eat better and start exercising. Anyone ever had that healthy desire, right? But then you have this one, unhealthy desire. I want pizza and ice cream, right? Now you can insert your own unhealthy uh, choices there, but which one of these often wins out? Here's another one. Sometimes we come to church or maybe you hear a sermon um, or or maybe you just feel convicted about something and, and you have this healthy desire in your life. I want to be, and then you fill in the blank, more patient. I want to be less anxious. I want to be more forgiving. I want to be less gossipy at work. I want to be a better listener. I want to be a better parent. I want to be a a better friend. And, And you come home from church and you feel convicted about this thing. And at that particular moment, you have a very real and strong desire to do something, to change something specific in your life, right? And you're going to do it. Like this week, you're going to start forgiving people more. You're going to start listening more. You're not going to get anxious. You're not going to gossip. You're not going to live in fear. Um, You've decided you're going to stop lying to your friends to always just make yourself look good. Uh, You've decided you're going to start being more patient with your kids. You're going to be more patient on the highway next time someone cuts you off, right? And you have all the desires and intention in the world to change this one area of your life and two days later, nothing has really changed, right? You tried and you failed. You're still the same impatient person that you were before. And that's because you did have a really good and healthy desire to make some changes and to be a different person, but you also had an unhealthy desire that you might not have even been aware of. And it was this, I want to stay the same. I don't really want to change. I want to keep living and acting the same way that I always have. And guess what? Two days later, maybe it's a week later, it's pretty clear that it was your unhealthy desire that won out. Nothing actually changed. And you might say, wait a second. I thought my desire to change was so strong. I mean, I was so convicted. I was so challenged. I made all kinds of promises and I decided that I was definitely going to change. And I meant it. I mean, I, and if I really meant it, why can't it happen? And the answer is simple. And yet it's taken me maybe 30 or 40 years to figure out. The answer is, The problem is not your desires. The problem is your habits. It's not your desires. You have all of the right desires. You just haven't embraced the right habits. Now, you have embraced some habits. In fact, we all have lots of habits, right? You have habits about what you do in the morning when you wake up. You have habits about how you eat your food, about how you like your coffee, about how you engage with media, about how you organize your desk, about how you shop, about how you engage with people, about whether you clean or not clean your room or your apartment regularly, about what you do every night before you go to bed, about what you do on weekends when the weather is really nice, about what you do on weekends when the weather isn't so nice. Our lives are filled with routines 
and habits, repeated things that we do every single day or week. And most of our habits, we're not even aware of. We just do them subconsciously. That's what makes them habits. They're second nature to us. We do them all the time because it's the way we've been doing things for a long time. So it's not that you and I don't have any habits, right? We have all kinds of habits. It's that the habits we currently have are reinforcing the life that we're currently living and the unhealthy desires that we're sometimes trying to change. Uh, Journalist Charles Duhigg, in his best-selling book called The Power of Habit, he writes this, Habits are powerful, but delicate. They can emerge outside of our consciousness or can be deliberately designed. They shape our lives far more than we realize. They are so strong, in fact, that they cause our brains to cling to them at the exclusion of all else, including common sense. So what he's saying is that our habits are so powerful that they often work at the subconscious level. We're not even aware of them so that if every night before I go to bed about nine o'clock, I wander into the kitchen to get a snack. And maybe my preferred snack is a few cookies and a glass of milk, right? If I do that every single night, then even on those nights when I'm not really that hungry at all, I will still go into the kitchen and get my cookies and milk. And common sense might say, you know what? I don't really want these. I don't really need this. I'm not that hungry. I ate a late dinner tonight. I ate a really big dinner. Common sense will tell me I don't really need to do this. And yet the habit is so strong that I will keep doing it even when it doesn't make a lot of sense. Which is why it doesn't matter how genuine your desires are to become a more patient person after a convicting message on a Sunday, if all of your habits in your life are reinforcing different values, values like speed, getting things done quickly, efficiency, productivity, instantaneous gratification, if all of your current habits are reinforcing those values, then you're never going to become a more patient person because habits form us. Habits form our desires. They form our values. They form our lives. Uh, Another word we might use here, uh, almost like a synonym, is rhythms. Rhythms are the things we do over and over and over each day or each week or each month. And we all have them, right? Even if you're not an organized person or a structured person, even if you think you're spontaneous and you just fly by the seat of your pants, right? You still have rhythms. There's things you do every day. There's ways that you approach things every day and every week. And those habits and those rhythms form you. Another word we might use is the word practices practices form us. And I like this word practices because it reminds us that we actually have some control over these habits. We can choose what we do in the mornings when we get up. We can choose what food we eat. We can choose how we spend our time. We can choose how we engage with technology, 
So our habits and our rhythms are like practices. We have to remind ourselves we are actively doing these things. Now, there's a whole set of habits and rhythms that we're subconsciously doing without even thinking about it. But if we wanted to, we could change them. We could engage new practices. We could transform our current habits or our current rhythms into a new or revised set of habits or rhythms. And this is the key to living out new and healthy desires. When we take a long, hard look at our our current habits and our current rhythms and our current practices, and we ask the question, what desires have those formed in our lives? And what desires are those reinforcing in our lives? Then we can ask, what kind of new habits, what kind of new rhythms or practices do we need to engage that will form and cultivate and reinforce our new desires? Because habits form us, rhythms, practices, they form us. And if we want to become formed into someone new in any part of our lives, it's going to start and end with our habits. Now, this works on two levels. Uh, First, it works on a micro level. That's basically what I've been talking about. And by that, I mean, there's one specific area of your life where you maybe want to see some change. And so let me give you just one more example. Let's make it really, really practical. Let's pretend that you're in debt, right? And for some of us, we don't have to pretend that, right? And so you have this healthy desire, and it's this, I want to get out of debt, and I want to not get into debt anymore in the future. That's a healthy desire. But what we all know and what many of us have learned is it's not enough to just have this healthy desire. It's not even enough to take one step to tomorrow decide, you know what, I'm not going to go out to eat tomorrow. I'm going to save a little money. I'm not going to buy those new skis I was thinking about buying. I'm going to save a little money there. Those are one-time actions and those are nice. Those are great. But here's what we really have to do if we want to see real change happen. We have to ask the question, what are my habits? What are my current spending habits? What are my current saving habits, if I have any? What are my current habits of of tracking or managing or, or budgeting my money or my finances or what I bring in? What are the things that I've been doing related to my money and my finances for months and months and months and maybe years of my life that have kept me from getting out of debt and maybe were the reason I got into debt in the first place because my current habits and practices have created the situation I'm currently in and they continue to reinforce the situation I'm currently in. And so it's not going to matter how great my desire is to get out of debt. Because if I want to see real change happen, I'm going to have to understand and address my habits. I'm probably going to have to revise some of my habits. In some cases, I'm going to have to replace old habits with some entirely new ones, which is not easy, right? It doesn't happen overnight. But this healthy desire to get out of debt is not going to be enough. I'm going to have to, and you're going to have to address habits in this one area of my life to see real change happen. And so that's what I would call the micro level. But here's the macro level. It's backing up and asking this question. What kind of person do I want to be 
not just financially, but physically, emotionally, relationally, vocationally, and spiritually. What kind of person do I want to be in all of those areas of my life? And then what kind of habits would form me into the kind of person I want to be? What kind of habits would help me pursue health in all of these areas? And that's a really big question. And that's the heart of this new series that we're going to be in for the next couple of months. So let me tell you real quickly the stories of two different groups of people who lived a long time ago and how they answered this question. Here's the first group. The first group of people is the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, not the modern nation of Israel, but the ancient people of Israel who for hundreds of years had been slaves in Egypt. So that means they had a whole set of habits and routines that governed their lives, that governed their work, right? Many habits and routines that were imposed upon them that they might not, might not have chosen for themselves, And you know the story, right? God uses Moses to deliver the people and they're rescued from slavery into Egypt and they go into the wilderness and they eventually go into the promised land. And if you're reading through the Old Testament and you're reading this story, it's exciting and they're rescued and they're delivered to live this completely new and liberated life. And then God gives them a bunch of rules. (laughs) And the big rules that he gives them up front you know, they make some sense. There's 10 big ones, right? Don't lie to each other. Don't cheat on each other. Don't kill each other, right? But then you keep reading and there's all kinds of little rules about how they should order their days, how they should approach their work, how they should cook and clean their houses. There's rules about personal hygiene, about money, about the calendar, about what holidays they should celebrate and exactly how and when. And it goes on and on and on for the better part of four books, Exodus and then Leviticus is all about this, right? And then Numbers and Deuteronomy. And those are the books we often skip because they just get so boring because they're filled with all of these intricate details about every single aspect of their lives. And for us, It seems like a whole bunch of rules, right? And that word has a bad connotation, but it's really simply God saying, here's some new habits. Here's some new routines. Here's your new practices. And if you will live these habits and these practices, then they will help you love me and love each other and become the kind of people that you want to be. And it's not just about abstract statements and values, right? Or abstract ideas like, hey, don't kill each other. That's a good, I mean, those are important and we need to get those out of the way at the first, but then we have to talk about the details and the habits and the routines and the rhythms and the everyday practices of your lives, because that's where this will be lived out. Here's another example in the sixth century AD. Christianity had been around for about five or 600 years at this time. And Christianity had become the official religion of the empire by this time, meaning it was the state religion. Everybody was a Christian. It was popular. It was culturally appropriate. 
everybody identified as a Christian. Everyone went to church, maybe not every Sunday, but they went every now and then just to kind of keep, you know, playing the thing, doing the deal. And, and so everybody identifies as a Christian at this time, but there were very few who actually took their faith seriously. There were very few people who were actually following Jesus. And so there were some Christians that got so disgusted by this watered down cultural religion that they fled to the desert to be hermits. But a guy named Benedict came along and he tried the hermit thing. He actually spent three years in a cave by himself. And he realized you can't just retreat to a cave by yourself because that's not following Jesus either. You have to live your life in meaningful community doing meaningful work. And so Benedict gathered some others around him who were interested in doing this together. And his first couple attempts at trying this failed, actually. But he eventually was able to gather a group of people who together asked this question, the one that we've asked. What kind of habits would form us into the kind of people and community that we really want to be? And the answer to that question became a short book that he wrote, a book of habits and practices that they as a community would live by. It became known as the rule of St. Benedict. And the word rule here just meant a standard or a pattern or, or something to measure ourselves by, a set of habits and practices. And other groups began to adopt this rule of St. Benedict. And eventually they became known as Benedictine communities or Benedictine monasteries. Now, before you picture a whole bunch of monks living in a monastery somewhere in the desert, that's not what they were. Over the next several hundred years, these Benedictine communities became the hub of activity in all of the cities and towns across all of Europe. They became the places where education and schooling actually happened. They became the places where the best craftsmanship, the best food, the best markets, because the Benedictines were the best farmers. They became the places that took in the orphans in town. They became the places that healed the sick. They became the hospitals in the cities. They became the places that welcomed the traveling guests. They were the ones that had the only library in town. In fact, they were the best scholars when it came to preserving ancient manuscripts. The reason that we have the Bible, these ancient manuscripts that have been preserved for us today, is because of these communities. They were the brightest lights during the dark ages. And it was all because a group of men, and then eventually some women did this as well, decided we need to start with a few key practices, and habits that will order our days and order our desires. Now, I almost decided not to share those two examples. I was going to scrap them because if you're trying to inspire people to do something, the last thing you want to do is point to the book of Leviticus and the rule of St. Benedict as examples to follow. In fact, Rule number 17 in preaching, never mention Leviticus or the rule of St. Benedict, right? Don't even think about it ever. Because here's the deal. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, that sounds horrible, 
right? You're telling us to be like the ancient Israelites or Benedictine monks. And it sounds like you're about to give us a whole bunch of rules to follow. And you can call them practices or habits or whatever you want, but they're going to be basically rules and rules are restrictive. Rules are limiting. That's what you're thinking. There's a reason the Israelites had a hard time keeping all of these habits and all of these practices and all of these rules. And that's because we were made to be free from those kind of things. And before you go too far down that road, I want to challenge that thinking. Because you think that rules or limitations or habits or intentional practices are are limiting, they're they're restrictive, they're, they're confining. And I would actually argue it's the exact opposite. The embracing habits and practices and in some cases, limitations can actually free you to be the kind of person that you truly want to be. And this is kind of hard to understand until you've experienced it. But let me give you a metaphor that I think is the best metaphor to explain this. A set of intentional habits and practices that order your days and your weeks is a lot like a trellis. A trellis that gives the vine the structure and the shape and the stability it needs in order to grow. We know there's a lot of vines, like grape vines, right, that produce fruit. But if they don't have a trellis, they're not going to grow. And so the trellis is actually not restricting or limiting. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The absence of a trellis would be restricting and limiting. Without the trellis, the vine would wither on the ground. It would be overtaken by weeds. It wouldn't have the sunlight and the air and the space and the stability and structure it needs. It doesn't have something to cling to, something to grow upon. And so good habits, intentional practices are like the trellis that gives our healthy desires the space and the stability and the structure to grow. And so here's the experiment we're going to ask you to join us in being a part of. And actually, our staff has been doing this together for a few months. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to introduce you to eight key habits or practices. Uh, There's four daily habits, and then there's four weekly habits. And together, we're going to read a book. Um, We've mentioned it before. Um, It's called The Common Rule. And it's written by this guy named Justin Whitmell Early. And uh, I just want to let you know, he's not a pastor. He is not a theologian. He's not a biblical scholar. He's a lawyer. Now, don't hold that against him. I tell you that to say he has a normal job, just like you do. He's married. He has four kids. His life is busy. He's in quarantine right now, trying to figure out how to live in this new normal And he has a normal life and job and all those things. And yet he wrote this book and he makes a very convincing case that adopting these few intentional habits and practices in our lives are like the trellis that we all need to experience the true and authentic and genuine change, to experience the love and the peace and the patience and all of those things that we deeply desire. 
And so if you haven't bought this book yet, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, you can find it online. Amazon takes a little while to ship, but there's a lot of other places and you can download it. Um, and, and so I highly recommend getting it. We're going to read through it together. If you've already gotten it um, today or tomorrow in the next couple of days, read uh, the first couple of chapters, the introduction. I think it's pages one through 28, which is the introductory stuff that will explain and unpack some of the stuff I'm talking about right now. And I'm guessing he will be able to convince you even better than I have why these habits can be so important to us and why they're actually freeing, not limiting. And then next Sunday, we're going to jump into the very first habit. We'll talk about it here and unpack it. And we'll begin to talk about what it might look like to live it out in our lives. So with all that in mind, I want to close with one challenge and uh, one challenge and two warnings. Here's the challenge. Genuinely try to practice these habits. That's your challenge. This series is not about learning something new. It's about doing something new. But that's going to require all of our involvement and participation. Now, we're going to try to give you some tips the best we can moving forward. We're going to look at a a bunch of passages of Scripture that we think underscore this. Um, The book that uh, Justin Early wrote has a lot of great tips in it. But if you just read that book or you just listen to these messages, but you don't actually try to do things, do these practices, then this will be basically pointless. Now, maybe you're hesitant because you're thinking, I'm not a very ordered person. I'm not structured, right? I don't think this way. I'm not disciplined. Um, and that's okay. This is not written just for people who are disciplined. This is, these are not just ideas for people who already have order in their lives. Maybe you just hate being told what to do. And so even right now, as you're listening, you've kind of decided, eh, I'm not going to try these things, right? I'll listen and see what they have to say, but I'm not going to try these things. And if that's what you're feeling, then I would just challenge you to ask the question, where does that come from? Is that God whispering to you, hey, these are silly practices, don't try these things, right? Or is that just coming from a place of stubbornness? And what have you set that, and I have that as well. There's a part of me, when I started reading this book, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to do all these things, right? What if we set that stubbornness aside? And we said together, okay, for eight weeks, I'm going to give these things a try. Now, two warnings. Warning number one, uh, practices are not a competition. So some of you are really competitive, right? Some of you are Enneagram threes or eights, right? And you've already decided you are going to crush this. In fact, you've already read ahead. You've started habit one and you just love stuff like this. You like being given very specific, tangible tasks. And so you are ready to rock and roll. And I would just ask you to step back for a second and say, What's driving that inside of me? Is that a desire to accomplish? Is it a desire to impress others? Is it a desire to impress God? Because none of those should be the motivation here, right? If you approach these habits or these practices with a desire to accomplish or impress, here's what's going to happen. You're going to check the box off every week. You're going to do these habits really well. In fact, you'll do them faster and better than everyone else. And then you're going to be really proud of yourself. And you will have missed the entire goal 
of why we are doing this. Now, knowing that this is not a competition is important for another reason, because there's others of us who are going to try to do some of these habits and quickly get overwhelmed. And you'll get tired and you'll stumble and you'll forget one day or you'll forget one whole week, right? And you'll want to give up at some point. And then you're going to feel guilty because you're going to look at the habits and you're going to say, these shouldn't be that hard, but for some reason, they're really hard for me. And you might even feel defeated. And you too will have to remind yourself, it's not a competition. God is not looking for winners here. God's not going to give you a grade on this. So be careful not to approach this as a competition, because doing that will either produce accomplishment and pride or a sense of defeat and burden. And both of those are the wrong, the wrong fruit or the wrong goal to go for. These habits are not a competition. They're a trellis. Keep telling yourself a trellis for me to experience life. Now, here's the other warning. Practices are not products. You see, if one danger is approaching these practices or habits like a competition, at the other end of the spectrum is the danger of approaching them like products you would buy at the store or on Amazon, right? You know what? I think I'm just going to try one of these habits for a day and uh, just kind of see how it goes. And if I'm not entirely satisfied, then I'll just send the whole program back, right? Or or I'm going to read through all eight habits. I'm just going to kind of skim real quick. I'm going to pick out the one that I kind of like the best, and I'm going to give that one a try, right? And, And the problem with this is that whenever you're adopting any kind of intentional habits or corrective habits or practices in your life, you usually don't like them right away. Nobody likes exercising the first day back to exercising, right? They're not usually easy the first day. In fact, you don't even usually see fruit right away. Practices are not products that produce instantaneous results and satisfaction. And if you approach them in that way, right, how quickly can I get something out of this and how much can I get out of it? Well, you might not get a lot out of it right away, and it might not happen that quickly. Habits take days, usually weeks, sometimes months before you really notice new life and transformation. So I'm not suggesting you have to do all eight habits perfectly for the next six months. And if you do, you will become the perfect person with the perfect vine and the perfect life, right? That's the competition danger. But at the other end of the spectrum is this idea of saying, well, I'll just kind of give it a try and, and, and see if I like it or not. And maybe I'll just build one stick of the trellis. And after a couple hours, see if the vine goes up. And if it doesn't, I'll build another stick. And if the vine doesn't go up there, then I'll just kind of scrap the whole idea of the trellis because I was skeptical about the whole thing to begin with, right? There's got to be some place in the middle of these two dangers, where, and that might be different for all of us, but someplace in the middle where maybe we can enter this experiment together and we can simply say this, I'm going to give these eight habits a try. I'm going to give myself grace in the process. I expect that some are going to be easier than others. I expect some will be more impactful than others, particularly because we're all in different seasons right now. So I will be open to whatever new life God wants to grow on the trellis 
of my new habits. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would give all of us the courage and the boldness um, to step out and give this a try and uh, to be open to it and um, to be willing to see what you're going to do. And when we're tired or when we're weary or when it gets hard, uh, help us to encourage and support one another as a community of trellises together. We pray all this in your name. Amen.